Hi, it's Rose. Today, we're releasing a short clip about coca and cocaine from a previous episode with anthropologist and ethnobotanist Wade Davis, National Geographic Explorer in Residence. He tells all the good he thinks about Colombia's sacred plant and all the bad he thinks about the drug derived from the leaves. Enjoy the clip. But in, missing in all of that is that whereas opium can be addictive, coca, the source of cocaine, is n not only not addictive, there's been no evidence of toxicity uh, for over 10,000 years. Curiously, the efforts to eradicate the traditional fields began 50 years before there was a cocaine problem. You know, physicians in Lima in the 1920s looked up into the mountains and saw illiteracy, poor sanitation, various so social pathologies, and they had to settle on a cause. And their concern for Andean people was matched in its intensity only by their ignorance of Andean life. And since issues of economic justice and equity, land distribution, land reform, came too close to challenging the bourgeois roots of their own lives in Lima, they settled on coca as the demon source of all. And so the efforts really had nothing to do with cocaine hydrochloride and everything to do with the cultural identity of those who revered the plant. And this, this had a long history. I mean, the Spanish, in, in, at the time of the conquest, it made, made coca, like all important objects or um, plants of the Inca, illegal. But then in 1575, I think it was, or 72, Toledo made coca legal because the Indians wouldn't work the mines without it. And then coca actually became the economic foundation of the Spanish Empire in Peru for 200 years, right? But in all that time, no one did a nutritional study of the plant until we did it in 1975. And what we found horrified our backers of the US Department of Agriculture that had sponsored our research because we found that the plant had, yes, a small amount of cocaine in it, absorbed very differently than, absorbed benignly through the mucous membrane, but also a, a kind of analog of cocaine very different than what you get as a salt, the cocaine hydrochloride on the illicit market. But, but this mild stimulant, useful in a harsh environment, um, was augmented by a slew of vitamins. In other words, if you chew coca leaves, you're getting every day your requirement for vitamins across the board. It also had calcium, more calcium in it than any plant ever studied by science, which made it perfect for the traditional diet that lacked a dairy product. It even had enzymes, which enhanced the body's ability to digest carbohydrate at high elevation. So coca was not just a sacrament. Um, nutrition. Nutrition. And, and again, it's not like we, we were suggesting that coca can substitute for food as much as we were saying not only is this not a dangerous plant, it's a nutritional plant. And more importantly, is it's absolutely vital to the cultural well-being. You know, you can take beer away from the British and you can take betel nut away from the Indonesians and you can take tea away from the Indians. Uh, but to take coca is an act of cultural genocide because of the way the plant is involved in every aspect of ritual life. And, you know, if cocaine is a sort of jagged assault to the, the senses and ultimately a drug of, of ego and delusional self-aggrandizement, coke is meditation. It's about reciprocity. You know, you meet someone on the trail in the Andes, you don't 
trade, uh, shake hands, you or you trade leaves. You know, you to connect. To connect, it's a form of social connection. But then, as you, if I meet you on the trail, you will give me three perfect leaves, like a little crusetta. I will then give you one, and then you will blow your breath to the sacred mountain. And the idea is the energy of the leaves are being sent to the mountain, just as the clouds gather to precipitate the rain that gives fertility to the soils. I mean, to be a human in the Andes, in the, the culture of the Rumisina, you know, the people of the Andes, you have to use coca. I mean, distance is measured not in kilometers, but in cocadas, how many coca chews, you know. So, you know, we've been studying, I've been studying coca since the 1970s, but now's the time to create a legal nutraceutical market for the coca leaves, basically to de decouple coca from cocaine and generate the revenue for Colombia in particular to allow that nation to pay the cost of peace, having drained its treasury for 50 years to pay the sordid costs of prohibition, a war that would not have lasted one day without the illicit black market trade in cocaine. This is why I hate cocaine so much, and also why I hate cocaine users. I don't hate them, but I just get furious. Everybody you've ever met in Barcelona, Montreal, Miami, and all the glass-clad towers of the world, everybody you've ever met who's even thought of using cocaine has the blood of innocent Colombians in their hands. 260,000 dead, 7 million internally displaced, 5 million forced to leave their country, 100,000 kidnapped and disappeared, all because of cocaine. The last year of the Peace, before the peace agreement, the FARC were down to maybe 6,000 cadre, mostly kids in search of four meals a day. And yet they made $600 million through extortion and cocaine trafficking. You, you give me the Boy Scouts of Barcelona and $600 million, and I can wreak havoc in all of Catalonia. How would Americans feel if Canada had patterns of drug consumption in bars and boardrooms across the country? I hope you enjoyed this clip from an interview in Caplancaya with anthropologist and ethnobotanist Wade Davis. It's episode number one of the podcast if you want to listen to it in full. Next week, we'll release a full new episode. Until next time, 